If you have your Bible today, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 12? Or the text is printed on pages 10 and 11 in your bulletin. Hear God's word. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing's covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he's killed, has authority to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the wise, the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? 
Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. The one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is the word of the Lord. We ask you now to work on us as we hear our Father in Jesus' good name. Amen. Do you all want to make a difference in the world? There's something noble, something admirable about people who want to make a difference. Often causes and charities will kind of use, they'll appeal to this. You know, come make a difference with us. And Christians, of all people, obviously, should want to make a difference because that's why you're still here. Jesus did not leave you in this world so you could just live a comfortable life and then die. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. These things make a difference. But the hard part about making a difference is being different. The hard part about making a difference is being different, because if you are not different, you can't make a difference. And that's hard. And that's what this text is about. As Jesus is winding his way now toward Jerusalem, this big middle section of Luke's gospel, one of the things he talks about with his disciples quite a lot is how different they must become from the world they've known. And Jesus expresses that here as a warning about leaven. Now, leaven, you know, is this fermenting agent, often in bread or other fermented things. When is, you guys know your way around the Bible. When's the first time in the Bible that leaven is presented as something bad, something we ought to get rid of? Somebody, anybody? Passover, the Exodus. Now, this is very interesting. When Israel is about to leave Egypt, they need to leave Egypt. And so they're not allowed to have leavened bread because leaven... This influence agent, this fermenting agent, it is a, it's a visible picture of the influence of Egypt. You need to put behind the influence of Egypt. It needs to not leaven you as you leave. The gods of Egypt aren't coming with you. The immorality of Egypt is not coming with you. You need to put out the leaven and be a new lump, unleavened by Egypt. And so that is in the mind of these Jewish hearers. And Jesus, as we heard back in chapter 9, he is about to accomplish a much greater exodus from spiritual Egypt, what he calls the house of the strong man, Satan himself. And what is really kind of crazy is we are discovering, and the disciples are discovering, guess who is part of this spiritual Egypt? Israel's rulers. That's a mind-bender. The leaders of Israel are part of the spiritual Egypt from whom Jesus is going to deliver his people. And he tells his disciples here, their leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of these rulers of Israel who are actually part of the spiritual Egypt are all going to leave. Their leaven is what? Their leaven is hypocrisy. Because this is really, again, it's just very strange. For all the religiosity of the Pharisees, I mean, they make you all look like slackers as far as external, precise observance of all these laws. Thank God we're not stuck with all that anymore. They are to the letter 
externally conform to what God wants. But at heart, these Pharisees have no more interest in God ruling through Jesus than Herod does or Caesar does. Their hearts want earthly wealth and want earthly power. They want what Rome has more than they want God's kingdom. That's their heart. And Jesus says, you beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, lest it leaven you, because it is possible, he is saying to his friends here, it is possible to profess Jesus as Lord, to talk the talk of a follower of Jesus, and have our hearts gripped, leavened, by perspectives and priorities that are actually contrary to his kingdom. It is possible to have Exodus on the outside and Egypt on the inside, is what he's saying. And he tells them in verses 2 and 3, God is going to reveal what's in the heart. The things that you mutter in your secret place of your heart are going to be shouted from the housetops. God will expose the heart. So don't let's try to hide. Let me tell you, my friends, I love that he calls them friends there in verse 4, because he loves these people. And he wants to lead them out of Egypt. And so he turns to his friends and he says, I want to show you some particular kinds of leaven that we're going to need to put away in this great exodus that I'm about to accomplish. I want to look at these just briefly. One of them, you'll notice immediately, is this is leaven that gets into the heart. It's contrary to the kingdom of God. The leaven of fearing man more than God. Fearing man more than God. Jesus talks very openly about this. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Now, here's the problem with Jesus. This is why I don't always like... Jesus is hard to follow sometimes because he is so disruptive. He just can't leave well enough alone. He has this message that makes powerful people want to kill him. Because he goes to the powers of the age, whether they are religious powers or political powers, and he does not play war games with them. He doesn't come and say, oh, you got a spear? i got a bigger spear. You got an army? Caesar, I got a bigger army. That's not how he rolls. What he does, he comes to these powers, whether they're, you know, the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem or, you know, Pilate and Herod. He comes to these powers and he simply says, you need to kiss my ring. Because I'm your king. I gave you your throne. You would have no authority at all if it wasn't given to you by my father in heaven. You have your throne from me and your throne is accountable to my throne. That's a heavy thing to say. You know, powers don't like that at all. Because this is not revolutionary saber-rattling. This isn't just an agitator bringing force against the regime. This is a demand for worship. Now, you're following Jesus as he goes and does this crazy stuff. And you know, the problem with this, to invert the old saying, is this really puts the pigeon among the cats. And here you are, a little pigeon. I'm a little dove following Jesus. And all of a sudden, the cats hate me because I'm preaching that message to them, as these disciples will shortly find out. You know, they used to have very quiet little lives. You know, Peter would float around on Lake you know, the Sea of Galilee and just chill and fish. And now he and these other disciples, they are, they are, whether they want to or not, heading right into the crosshairs of powers who do not want the world turned upside down. This is going to be hard. They will try, they will try to kill you. They're certainly going to kill me, Jesus says. And when the gospel of Jesus' kingdom, he is Lord, he's king, all powers answer to him. When that gospel provokes hostility, and it does, if you believe that gospel, 
If you believe, as Jesus says here, that you serve one with authority, so it doesn't matter who has the power visibly, what matters is who has the authority. And if you serve one who has the authority to cast into the fires of Gehenna, Jesus says, you shouldn't be afraid of them. You shouldn't be rattled when powers get hostile, when the gospel is preached. But you know, our hearts, here's 11, our hearts can be tempted when things get up, there's a lot of powerful opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. Our hearts can be tempted, while still professing to follow Jesus, to either seek the praise of spiritual Egypt or to use the weapons of spiritual Egypt. You've seen this in Jesus' warning of his disciples. Don't fear these powers. You trust in the one who has authority. But you know, over the... Over the centuries, you've watched the church, you watch Jesus' disciples, and we're tempted sometimes to seek the praise of spiritual Egypt, to, to, to change the message, to kind of mute Jesus, to soften his hard edges a little bit so we can enjoy the praise of men. That was the Pharisees. They were willing to talk God talk as long as it didn't disrupt their status with the powers. They loved the praise of men. They love the comforts of a normal life that just fits in. You know, Christians in our generation are going to discover this at a new level. You are not going to fit in in this generation. If you are serious in following Jesus, there is a very real possibility you will actually be hated. And there will be something in your heart. It's 11 of the Pharisees that just wants to say, you know what, I could find a way to just kind of slide in. Be very much under the radar. Or the other temptation in our hearts is here comes earthly fire. And we bring earthly fire. We try to overcome power with power, evil with evil. This is the spirit of so much politically absorbed Christianity. All about the power games in politics, as if that is really the epicenter of the kingdom. And that can even bleed over into actual revolutionary violence. And the Bible calls all of that the fear of man. And the polar opposite of the fear of man is to fear God. And when you fear God, you fear nothing else because you, fear of the Lord is trusting his love and his authority. Fear of the Lord is not terror, he's going to hurt me. It's recognizing his sheer majesty and trustworthiness and putting absolute confidence in him. And so you're just not afraid of anything else because you fear him. You trust him. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples here. He says, what drives out the fear of man, my friends is knowing God's love for you and his promises to you and his presence with you. Do you realize he loves you more than all those other creatures he cares for? And God's, God isn't busy because it doesn't stretch, stretch him the way it would stretch us. God, but God is, in a sense, busy. Do you realize how many creatures in this world God feeds every day and makes sure they're taking? He pays attention to the sparrows. If he takes care of them, do you think he would take care of you? He loves you. You're more valuable to him than all the billions of sparrows in this world. You are loved by this one with authority to cast into Gehenna. And his promises to you, his reward is sure. You acknowledge him before men. Okay, they might put you in, the, in with the lions. That's possible. And I don't really want to meet a lion, thank you. But the Son of Man will acknowledge you before the angels. That's a big deal. That's his promise to you. His reward is sure. And all those people blaspheming the Holy Spirit, saying that's the work of, you know, Beelzebul, they will not be forgiven. They will be judged. These powerful enemies will be brought down by the Son of Man. So his promises, his reward, it's sure. And it's not just his promises. It's his very presence with you. He says, don't be afraid when they drag you before rulers and authorities. And you're just a little stupid fisherman. Like, what am I going to say? He said, don't worry about it. Because God is with you and his spirit will teach you in that moment what to say. This is the love of God for you. Do not fear man more than you fear God. 
And then in the middle of this discourse, all of a sudden, some guy in the crowd says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And this is just like, I, I, excuse me, do you have something to say to the class? Because we're kind of talking about, this is talk about changing the subject. Now, I, I, I kind of love this because I've always kind of felt for this guy. Have you ever had some injustice in your life that's going on and you, it just is eating at you so bad? I've had times in my life when somebody is doing something to me that is so unfair and it's so mean and it's just so wrong. And if I saw Jesus, I'd make a beeline for him and say, Jesus, will you do something about this? That's this guy. He's not paying any attention to what Jesus is saying. I think his brother is being a jerk. That's what I think. I think this poor guy, his father only you know, left an inheritance and the brother is taking it all. How? I mean, this is, this is ruin economically, and I think he is frustrated. I think he has a reason to be. He probably has a legitimate case, but look how Jesus responds to him as he just interrupts in the middle of Jesus' talk. The fact that he is addressing this concern with Jesus here and now says something very important about this man, that this earthly inheritance from his father, which is important, is way more important to him than inheriting the kingdom of the Father who is in heaven. Way more important. He's not listening to a word Jesus says about the kingdom. He wants his inheritance. And Jesus says, to be clear, that's not my mission. You might need a judge or arbitrator. I'm not it. I'm here to preach the kingdom. Are you listening? And it gives Jesus an opportunity to expose another kind of leaven. We looked at fearing, fearing man more than God. There's another kind of leaven Jesus warns about here, and that is wanting passing treasure more than lasting treasure. Wanting passing treasure more than lasting treasure. And he says, I want to talk to you about wanting possessions. And his parable about this rich man, obviously, you've heard it many times, it drives home as this guy lays up, you know, builds bigger barns, fills them up, he's ready to party, and then he's time to die. And this parable drives home how fragile and ultimately how empty wealth and its pleasures are. You know, you've got lots of money and lots of stuff, you can have lots of pleasures that come with that money and that stuff. And yet you can lay it up throughout your life and finally reach that place where it's just this week I finally arrived and I am, I have, I've, I've just, I'm at the kind of top of my game and I've got lots of, of provisions and I can finally just chill out and eat and drink and have a good time in life. And God says, fine, tonight you die. Well, how'd that work out? Who, who's who's going to collect all this stuff that's yours? If your life, he says, verse 21, is about laying up treasure for yourself. And beloved, uh, can, I, can you guys look at me for a second? Is your treasure for you? Is it for you? Jesus says, if you spend your life laying up treasure and it's for you, and you just have absolute poverty toward God, This is, this, is, this is the end. This is the end of it. How? What a waste of investment. And that's the Pharisees. They want their pomp and their wealth and their status and all the stuff more than God and his kingdom. This is the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, I know we're probably sitting here saying, well, that's so obvious. Who would want to live you know, poor toward God but lots of stuff for me? Well, Jesus has more to say to his disciples, though, about how money and earthly possessions and pleasures they can leaven the heart 
And they can undermine investing in God's kingdom. Because he goes on in verse 22 to talk now to his disciples a little bit. And he says, first of all, that possessions sometimes will grip your heart most when you don't have them. You ever notice this? Sometimes possessions will get their grip on your heart most when you do not have them. And the disciples are about to head into some time when Jesus is going to strip away everything from them. They're going to be persecuted, displaced, lose their homes, lose everything. They're going to be wandering. I heard a pastor say this week, he said, the church isn't doing nearly enough to disciple Christians on what it's going to be like when they can't get a job today in certain industries because they believe the word of God. Nobody's talking to our kids about that. Oh, you can do anything, young Christian, not in this world. And that can eat at you. It can create anxiety. Because what we do not have, what we cannot obtain, what God withholds from us even, what we don't have can drown out whose we are. So the rich man, he's all full of, you know, his whole life is about eating and drinking what he's got. Well, sometimes for Christians, our life is all about wondering what we are going to eat and drink. Kind of the same focus. We're just, is God going to take care of us? And so Jesus says, don't be, you can't add a, an hour to your life by, by worrying. His disciples and we, you know this text very well. Look at the lilies, look at, look at the ravens. We need to keep first things first. Your father, your king, will not fail to take care of those who seek his kingdom. He will not fail to do it. Some of you in this room are living proof of this. You cannot outgive God. You seek his kingdom. What's that mean? I don't have anything to even seek his kingdom. I'm, I'm poor. I'm struggling. I'm wondering where the next meal is going to come from. Seek his kingdom. You pray. You obey the law of God. You keep doing what is right before him. You do good works as you have opportunity. You bear witness to Jesus. And you will discover, no matter how tough it may get at times, God will infinitely outgive your giving to him. You will not lose if you keep seeking his kingdom. If you just keep focused on that and you let God take care of the rest. Do not let possessions grip your heart in the form of anxiety. Your father knows you need these things. But possessions can also grip your heart when you do have them. Because Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, so sell your possessions and give to the poor. Here's the thing. You'd like to think that when God gives his people money, when God gives his people wealth, this would result in more worship, more gratitude, more room for fellowship. More room for hospitality, because look how God has filled my barns. Greater bounty in meeting needs. I'm just going to sell off a bunch of stuff and just give to the poor. That's what you'd think would happen, because I, I, God has blessed me. More investment in building churches and building Christian missions and building Christian schools and building other institutions for, of Christ, Christian work, because after all, is not the kingdom making and, and forming disciples? Isn't that the commission? On this earth, make disciples. And you'd think the more God gives his people resources and money and, and possessions, they would just be like all in on making disciples. That's what you'd think. And sometimes that's true. But lo, the leaven works. And Jesus says, be careful that while you say with your mouth, it's the Father's pleasure to give us his kingdom. Your money bags, your money bags are in the land of thieves and moths. And the thieves and moths are coming, not least your own death. You're not taking a dime with you. 
Be careful lest these riches get your heart. And that comment regarding receiving God's kingdom and being entrusted with the treasures of God's kingdom leads to the last kind of leaven. There's fearing man more than God. There's wanting passing treasure more than lasting treasure. And the last leaven that Jesus addresses, beginning in verse 35, is self-serving in positions of trust. Self-serving in positions of trust. Because throughout the Gospels, Israel's rulers, you know, they're portrayed as tenants, The landlord is God, right? They are stewards. They are managers of God's kingdom. God has entrusted these rulers with the story of his kingdom in the Torah and the law of his kingdom and the wisdom of his kingdom and the people of his kingdom. They are the under-shepherds of Israel. And yet for all of their outward show of knowledge and uprightness in this position of trust as managers of God's kingdom, at heart, as we've seen, they reject the very heart of God's kingdom, which is his rule. In Jesus, God has drawn near to rule in his kingdom through his son, and their hearts are completely closed to him. And because their hearts are closed to the coming of this master of God's house, because their hearts are closed to God's rule through Jesus, the way they rule looks nothing like him. When your heart is closed to the rule of God, when God gives you something to rule, you won't rule like him. And what the, Fer- the leaven of the Pharisees is that at a heart level, what you see in them is a self-exalting, self-indulgent way of ruling. They're unconcerned for the needy. They're even abusive, as you see the language of beating servants here, and they will kill some of the servants God sends to them. And so this that Jesus is saying, beginning in verse 35, he's now giving his kingdom to a new Israel, to a new 12, right? And the question is, how will these new stewards of his kingdom act in their position of trust? Will they, the leaven of the Pharisees cling to them in the way that they rule over and steward what God entrusts to them? And the first thing Jesus says that they must purge out is the Pharisees' willful blindness to the arrival of the kingdom. The Pharisees are willfully blind to the arrival of God's kingdom. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand, you cannot receive and steward a kingdom that you refuse to see. (laughs) And as prophesied, God is coming. He has come in Jesus. Look at verse 36. He's come to renew his marriage covenant with Israel. There's a reference to a wedding feast here. And he's come in Jesus to visit his house. Now, if you know anything about God's house in Israel's Bible, this is obviously referring to God's temple. Uh, Malachi prophesied this, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He is going to expose things. And Jesus says to these new stewards to whom he's going to give his kingdom, to those in God's house who have the temple lamps burning, And they're ready for the master. Here he comes. Welcome him. Rule us, Lord. He says, I'll tell you how I'm going to rule. I'm going to make you all sit down and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to love on you all. That's how I rule. If you receive the master when he comes. But to the one in verse 39 who thinks he's the master of the house. The coming of the true master is going to be like the inbreaking of a thief. A most unwanted and violent thing. 
You know, people so often read this text as referring to the end of the world, the second coming of Jesus. Can I just say to you that is not what it's talking about? This is not talking about the end of the world when Jesus returns. It is talking about the end of a world, and that world is the world that the, the, world the Pharisees rule. That world is coming to an end. And Jesus is coming. He is the master of the house to deliver his people from this spiritual Egypt, the, the bondage spiritually that they are in to the powers. And he says to the stewards of this new movement that he is bringing, he says, you need to be awake. You need to be receptive and welcoming and ready for the, the one who comes, unlike the Pharisees. And then notice what he says, with their hearts wide open to the king, unlike the Pharisees, wide open to the master of the house, they must also purge the Pharisees' way of ruling his people. Because P- Peter says, all right, Lord, who, who are you directing this to? And Jesus says, let me describe for you a faithful and wise manager. How that manager rules my people. There must be, unlike the Pharisees, no self-indulgent neglect of these sheep, these servants. I set you over my household, verse 42, to give them their portion of food at the proper time to nourish and feed and care for these people. And there must certainly be no abuse of fellow servants as you're eating and drinking and serving yourself and beating the male and female servants. There is to be no neglect and there is to be no abuse in those who rule in my kingdom. Can I say to you, and this is, there is always rule in every community. I'll say to you who are parents, heads of households, Elders, deacons, teachers, in any capacity where Christ has given you any oversight, any stewardship over other people that are his people. This is the heart of those whose hearts are open to the rule of the king. How then do they rule? How do they manage and steward? Well, first of all, they recognize these people Jesus has entrusted to me. These are the king's people. And that means, first of all, that I dare not leave them to go their own way. There is an urgency. You see it in the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm like a woman about to give birth till Christ is formed in you. And that's the heart of a parent who understands these are Jesus' people that I am raising. That's the heart of an elder, a a, a deacon, a pastor, a a teacher, in any position of authority in a Christian institution or or whatever, where, where you are working with Jesus' people. There is a duty before God. You teach, you feed, you encourage, you exhort, you spend your life in this. You rebuke and you warn and you discipline because it matters, because they're the king's people. It's like the parent who says, oh, that's not disobedience. That's just self-expression. It is self-expression. And Jesus wants it to become self-rule. And that is your job as the one making a disciple here. There's There's a burden to take care and feed and watch over and pray over. That's the heart of the shepherd because they're the king's people. But there's another side of it, too. These are the king's people. So in all that intensity, you dare not lord it over them. You dare not lord it over them. Peter writes later to elders, he says, you do not lord it over the flock. There is one lord, and he loves these sheep so much he died for them. That is to be the spirit of Christian rule in the home or in the church. I treat you as one for whom the King of Kings gave his life. And there is a tenderness and a forbearance and a willingness to carry the burden even of great sin. Put away self-serving in positions of trust. Can the body of Christ 
make a difference in today's world? It's a crazy world we find ourselves in. Can the body of Christ make a difference in today's world? I want to suggest this answer gives us a resounding answer, and that is yes. That because, as Jesus' people, we are loved by the God of Exodus, he is our champion, he is our father, we can purge out the old leaven. Fear of man, love of money, self-serving in positions of trust. And we can be the new dough, we can be the new lump, characterized by total confidence in God's sovereignty. What would it be like to watch a church that's just completely confident in God's sovereignty and his love? that have free hearts toward earthly treasures. We enjoy them, sure, but we have free hearts. They have no grip on us. We're not anxious when God takes something away. We are not self-serving when he gives it to us. We are generous We are because we have free hearts. We're just ready to use resources to serve our Lord and our Father. And in these communities, leaders in homes and churches who serve that king, and they know they are accountable to him, and they feed, and they bless, and they care for his people, and they love on them. You know, that is a church that could turn the world upside down. More next week. Father, bless these things to our hearts, and we pray for the continued work of your Spirit to form in us your own character and to make us a new lump of dough, free of the leaven of Egypt. In Jesus' good name.